Good morning. Isn't that a great story? It's a story of how God restores life. How many people here have either adopted or you've been a foster parent or that kind of a thing? Raise your hand. God bless you all. That's fantastic. God bless. Let's give me a hand. It's life changing. And in fact, we're in a series of messages going through the life of Jesus. And we're starting, of course, with his birth. That's what Christmas is about. But this series is going to go all the way up to Easter when Jesus dies and raises us from the dead. And so through this series, we're in the third sermon. We're jumping all the way up to where Jesus realizes that he is God's son. It's recorded for us in the book of Luke, chapter 2. We're going to start with that. And then I'm going to show you a whole bunch of passages in the New Testament about adoption and how we are adopted into the family of God. And this was God's design for the human race from the very beginning, that he would adopt us, some of us anyhow, into his family. And, and Lizzie kind of illustrates that, and I'm going to show you some more how she illustrates that through the message. This is the life-changing truth, and I'd like to pray with you about it, that God would give you insight and understanding. You may have been a Christian for years, but this is going to be some teaching this morning. I've had some other people come and tell me that through it that they never quite connected to. I'm hoping you can today. So would you bow with me in prayer and let me pray. Lord, we come to you in the name of Jesus, our Savior. And we recognize, Lord, that there's so many truths of Scripture. It's incomprehensible, really, many of these truths, because they're, they're a mystery to us. And even the idea that you would adopt us into your family is a mystery. But I pray today this mystery would be revealed. In fact, that's what your Scripture says, mystery is about. It's about the revealing of God's truth that's hidden to us. Most, most human beings cannot comprehend. So I'm counting on your Spirit to help everyone here understand the truths about being adopted into the family of God, being taught in Scripture, and being taught through the life and the teaching of Jesus, as well as the Apostle Paul. So we come to you today, Lord, asking you to fill us with your Spirit and help us learn. I pray that for everyone here in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to start with a passage of Scripture we often just run right by. It's the only one in the Bible where it tells about Jesus in his childhood. It talks about Jesus when he's 12 years old and how he's in Jerusalem. Now, that's pretty significant if you're a Jew. You get, you get the connection because he's in Jerusalem and he's 12 years old. Well, when you're 12 years old and you're a Jew, what happens? You have a bar mitzvah. And so that's what was going to happen to him. Bar mitzvah means son of the commandment. That's what bar mitzvah means. And Jesus was there with his parents to have his bar mitzvah. But he was also there to celebrate, as you'll see. I want to read the passage. You ready? Look with me in the Bible. Turn your Bibles or else look at it on the screen. Luke chapter 2. And Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 41, reads like this. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to, the, according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy, uh, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. 
And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Now, I don't know about you, but I read that and go, what? What's going on here? What is this about? Well, I can explain to you, first of all, it's not telling us that somehow Jesus' family was like a rebellious family from Israel for they're following all the customs and the teaching of Judaism. It's not telling us that Jesus was some kind of rebellious child or just scoffing on his parents or making fun of these scribes and Pharisees. No, it's not saying that at all. In fact, this brings up a lot of questions we could get into, but they're kind of a side point because what's really going on in this story that's so significant for you and me even, is Jesus is coming to the realization of God being his real father. You know, it tells us, if we look back in the book of Luke, that an angel came to Mary and Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit, which is what the angel said would happen. So God, the Holy Spirit, was his real father. And at age 12, this is finally connecting. All the pieces are coming together, and he's understanding this. And even his answer to his parents, he's not belittling them or making fun of them. They say, why are you looking for me? He's basically saying, why did you go to the swimming hole? Or why did you go to the playground? Why did you go here and look for me? I would be about my father's business. I'm understanding who I am and who my real dad is. It's God. Here's what's significant. God wants us to come to the same realization Jesus did. In fact, as you read through the New Testament, you'll see over and over again, that's God's plan for your life. He wants to make you like his son, Jesus, right? If you've been a Christian long, you've seen that teaching before. Well, even like Jesus understood God was his father, we, will, we need to understand that too. Now it's different for Jesus, right? Because he was born God. He was born and conceived by the Holy Spirit. You and me weren't. This is why. He teaches in the scriptures that you and me must be born again, born of flesh and born of the Spirit. But the same thing is true. We need to come to the same realization Jesus did. God's my real father. I've been born again. I've been born of God, and he's adopting me. Jesus didn't need to be adopted. He was in the family of God. But you and me, we get adopted in. Now, that's significant teaching and often missed. Uh, we, we, we read through and we don't quite understand it. It all seems so mystical and stuff. And I'm going to show you in, in several passages of Scripture this teaching and why it's so significant. But let me just give you a quote first because you might be thinking, well, that's cool, that's cool. It's like theology stuff. It's fun to think about that kind of mysterious stuff. <laughs> I don't think you understand what this is really teaching. Let me quote you from a secular psychologist. A famous psychologist, if I said his name, many would know who he is, especially if you studied psychology of the past. Here's what he says. Listen to this. His observation in all the hundreds and thousands of clients he's seen, trying to help them through issues in their life of depression and anxiety and conflicts in their families, and he says this. The central core difficulty in people, as I have come to know them, is that in the great majority of cases, they despise themselves. 
and regard themselves as worthless and unlovable. Do you think that might change if you saw yourself differently? Like that you're adopted into the family of God and that you're actually a child of God? Like even the secular psychologist says, well, the basic problem is their identity. They think they're such a mess, they're so unlovable, and they're so worthless. And he says, he doesn't understand the great truth that the scriptures are revealing here. God understands and he wants you to understand you're a child of God. This was God's game plan from the very beginning as we're going to read in Ephesians and in Romans and some other passage of scripture we're going to look at. And I'm hoping you can comprehend this with new insights and new identity and that this Christmas season will be different than anything. You know, in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, there's a passage, I'm reading so many passages today, I don't have time to read this one too, but it tells about how God self-emptied himself of being fully God when he became man in the form of Jesus Christ. And part of that self-emptying was the knowledge of who he was, which is why we read this passage in, in Luke 2, where Jesus is coming to the knowledge of him. That was one of the things he, he, he emptied himself of, so he could fully be man and fully be God at the same time. So what we're reading about here is him coming to this understanding in the same way we need to come to it. And what I'd like to do is go through it with you, piece by piece. Ready? Point one in your outline. Pull it out. It's in your bulletin. It reads like this. God's plan is to adopt you. Look with me at the book of John now. Turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, where it talks about in the beginning was the Word. John uses this creative process or this creative language to explain to us who Jesus is by calling him the Word. And then down in verse 11, 11, 12, and 13, he says this. Ready? He came to his own, Jesus came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who received him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. His own. What does it mean he came to his own? Well, he's talking about the Jewish nation of Israel, God's chosen people. Every Jew understood that. Everyone who would read this, and John himself a Jew, wrote this, that, well, he came to his own, and his own received him not. But look at verse 12. Starts out with that contrastive conjunction, but. In English, a contrastive conjunction, the word but often appears to show us contrast between two different things. He came to his own, but his own didn't receive him. They rejected him, right? The scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Jewish people, by and large, rejected Jesus being the Messiah. But in contrast to that, anyone who did receive him, look what it says, but to all who received him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, adopted into the family of God by receiving. Do you get it? The rejectors, those who reject him, are not adopted. Those who are receivers of Christ, they're adopted. It's as clear as that. They have a right. When you accept Christ, you have a right. We're going, to talk, we're going to talk into this, look into this more, read into this more as we go along. But you have a right in God's eyes to be considered a child of God. And even that secular psychologist says, whoa, that'll change everything about how you respond to people, about your anger, about your frustrations, about your anxiety. It changes you psychologically, it changes you emotionally, it changes you mentally, it changes your relationships, it changes your total destiny of life. 
when you can understand that you are now a child of God. But it all hinges on one thing, doesn't it? According to the Bible. Acceptance or rejection of Jesus. That's the way God designed it. Notice it reads on and says this in verse 13. Who are born not of the flesh, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, uh, nor, nor of the will of man. It's, it's negative, 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 and then he uses that contrastive conjunction again, right? But born of God. Again, that contrast idea. It's not, about, it's not about what people do. It's not about what man designed. It's not about a man or woman cohabitating. It's not about a relationship. No, it's about God. In other words, it's not natural. It's supernatural. The, the, the idea of being in God's family is not a natural thought. The idea, the experience, the relationship of being with God in his family is not something you naturally can contemplate or think up. It's a supernatural act done by God. You've got to catch that concept. But when I go through all this with, with you, it, it's, it's like I said earlier, it's interesting but it's really hard to comprehend. So I thought, you know, maybe since it's about being in the family of God, it's about adoption, I could use an illustration. You know how I love illustrations that illustrate things like the visual aids. So I'm going to use two of my grandkids because two of my grandkids, I have nine grandkids, two of them are adopted. So here they are. That's Davy. Next one, that's Crosby. Let's put them together, Davy and Crosby. Okay, I have nine grandkids, two of them are adopted. Those two boys are adopted. Love these boys. In fact, Davy right here. That guy right there, Davy. He's a cute little guy. He's four now. That's back when he was three. He's eating some raspberries with whipped cream. That's like his favorite thing. And I grow raspberries. Works good. So anyway, Davy was in Sunday school the other day. And he got home, and he's talking to his mom and dad. And he's talking to Julia, my daughter. She says, what did you learn in Sunday school, Davy? Oh, we were studying about Joseph in the Old Testament, his family. Remember, he had all those brothers? But Joseph, he was his dad's favorite. Oh, isn't that great? Yeah, that's what I learned. Well, we don't have favorites in our family, Julie says. She says, yes, you do. And she's kind of afraid, this adopted little boy, saying, you're playing favorites. She goes, well, Davy, uh, who's mom and dad's favorite? And he looks at her kind of sheepishly and goes, me. (laughs) She felt so great about that, that he thinks he's their favorite. Think of it. God was in heaven, looked down on earth. This mess of humanity just enveloped in sin, following the wrong ways, like sheep without a shepherd, the book of Isaiah says. And God looks down and goes, well, I can't adopt them all because they reject me. But I can adopt those who will accept me. I can bring them into my family as many as I can. And that's God's plan. In fact, in the book of 1 Peter, he says he's trying to get as many in the family, and that's why he extends time to allow more people to repent and come to Christ. God's plan all along. It tells us, as we're going to read in Ephesians in just a minute, from the beginning before the world even began, his end game was adopt as many as I can into my family. Those rebels, those sinners, I'm going to bring them to myself. I'm going to bring him into my family. 
Now, if that doesn't change you a little bit, there's something wrong. If that doesn't get you thinking a little bit, there's something going on in your mind. Like you're, you're not comprehending the idea. So let's go a little further. Ready? Point two reads like this. God's plan is to adopt you in, into his purpose. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus, and he's trying to clarify for them this whole concept, really, of adoption and the truth of it. He calls it a blessing. Ready? Turn with me, Ephesians chapter 1, starting with verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, key words, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as they chose us in him before the foundation of the world, there it is, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption, key word, as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the, in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in scripture as a plan for the forgive, for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Wow. Now that's a pretty lofty passage of scripture, but Paul's going into it with this key idea, blessed, 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 you're blessed. And I, I, I wish we had more time. I'd take that all apart to you. There's so much more there, but you got to ask the question, how did he do it? Why did he do it? And the answer is in the words he uses. Catch the key words. Let's just look at those. Chosen, predestined, adopted, just those three words alone. The point is, you know, sometimes these ideas of predestination, what do you, I didn't get a choice, it was all predestined, or chosen. We, we get nervous about that. Well, what do you mean? I, the, God planned it all, I didn't have a choice. That, that's not the point. The point is this. He's trying to say what's happened to you does not rest on man, does not rest on human decision. It rests on God's decision, on God's predestination, on God's chosenness. That's the point he's trying to make. Your adoption into the family of God isn't rest on a man's decision, a court's decision, or anybody else's. It rests on God and what God gives you. It's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. You know, when Davy and Crosby were adopted, the coolest part was the court scene. I'll never forget it. It was down at Camden for both of them. Uh, they had to adopt them here in New Jersey, but they, they live in Pennsylvania over in the Lehigh Valley, or over in um, uh, Glenside then. And um, I remember the court scene. It was just absolutely amazing because uh, the, the, you're lined up to go in. So our family got to finally got our time to go in. And so they go walking in there and the baby and, and, and all of their other kids. You know, Jules and Jeff have three other kids too. So all the kids are filing into the court. And the judge is up front and the bailiff's there and they watch all these things. And some other families from church came because uh, 
Julie grew up in this church. Some of her family friends were here. Some of her girl, old girlfriends, and they come in with their kids. And then Jessica, my older daughter, and Gina, my younger daughter, come in with their kids. And this place is getting jammed full of kids and parents, and it's starting to get noisy. And the judge is like getting a smile on her face, and the bailiff is really smiling. And then she drops the gavel and says, "Well, I got to talk with you now. We're here to discuss the case of the, whether you know it's Crosby or Davy and all this stuff." She starts going through the case and talking about these different things. And the lawyers are there with all the legalese and all the paperwork and they're signing things and then she says okay now I interview Jeff and he starts asking Jeff who's going to be the dad some questions he has to answer back and then she interviews Julia and then to my surprise and everybody, she says I want to talk to some of the siblings here who are the siblings of these little boys you know one at a time she's taken the, the, the two different court cases I'm talking about so she interviews little Grady who's going to be his brother and, and Ruby who's going to be his their sister and, and these kids are answering back. And by this time, I mean, the bailiff's almost crying. Because this is so cool that this little kid gets to get in this family that's like a big family, grandpas and grandmas and everybody there. And, and they realize this kid hit the jackpot. This is going to be great. And then she says, now you understand. In fact, a lawyer was up front last night telling me this. He says, I've done a few of these cases. He says, what's so powerful is when the judge finally says, now you understand, this child comes into the family with full rights as an heir. Just as much as the blood-born kids, he is now a brother and sister. He is a child of this family. And boom, she drops the gavel. It's final. He's in. He's part of the family, just as legit as anybody else. It was a powerful moment, absolutely breathtaking. And people are crying. Of course, my daughter's crying, and my son-in-law is crying. And even the bailiff was wiping away tears. I'm like, this is so cool. And then it was picture time. Okay, all the kids come up, and the judges take pictures of us. It was just reminding me again of what we're reading here. You're blessed, 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 he says. Did you see some of the key words being used here? Look at some of these key words. Chosen, predestined, adoption. Sure, we looked at some of these. For the purpose. Notice the word purpose appears twice. According to the purpose of his will. And then in verse verse 9, it says, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. Trying to say there's a purpose. You know, when you come into the family of God, you come into a purpose for your life. Did you hear Lizzie mentioning that? She said, now my life has meaning. Now my life has new purpose. Of course it does. You're a child of God now. You weren't before. A rejecter of Christ is not in the family of God, not adopted, but the receiver of Christ is adopted into the family. You now have the purpose of God for your existence, the purpose of the universe, the whole reason everything that exists, exists is through Christ, and now you're in connection with that purpose? Wow. I don't know about you, but when I became a Christian, this was the most significant teaching I ever heard. I all of a sudden realized that all of my chasing, all of my running, all of my um, entertaining, all of the stuff I did to be happy and all this stuff was, was just meaningless. And that has a lot to do with me becoming a Christian. It just all seems so meaningless. Just like that psychologist I quoted at the beginning, most people, he said, feel like a... And now I was full of meaning and purpose in my life. Just like this passage says, according to God's purpose. 
Look at the rest of the words in that passage. Like verse 7. Redemption means to purchase out of slavery to sin. Or blood. We're blood bought by Christ. Forgiveness of our sins. Because Christ shed his blood for our sins, we are forgiven. Or the, the mystery of his will. Because a lot of this, you've got to admit, it's very mysterious. But it's the truth of God's word revealed to us, which is what the word mystery means. You know, again, i got to say, this is hard to comprehend, right? But it's true. If you can get a hold of this in your reality, in your mind, in your heart, it can change your life. That's what that psychologist was trying to say. And i got another psychologist I'm going to quote later. It says the same thing. He was a Christian psychologist. But again, I struggled trying to explain this. And I thought, you know, God went to all this effort. So I'm going to use a visual aid here. He went to all this effort for us to adopt us. And it tells us he had the plan before the world began. I'm going to adopt as many as I can into my family and then take them to be with me in eternity. So I thought, I'll use a cross. Because the cross symbolizes all the work and all the life. Jesus lives into his, when he's 30 years old, and, 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 and God has his plan all laid out. It's a plan of God from the creation of, before the creation of the world, that he would have Jesus, his own son, die on a cross. Just so, just so he could adopt you. He could adopt me. Now, have you thought about that? What that means? Like, well, we've just been studying here. What does that literally mean? It means that God came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, a little baby's born in the manger, which we're celebrating here at Christmas time, right? So here's baby Jesus. And God has it all predestined, all chosen, that his son would grow into a man, 30 years old, and then he would kill him. So he could adopt you. What? You have a boy? You have a girl? Would you kill him? To adopt some filthy, grubby little sinner? That's what he did. It makes no sense. You know what the Bible calls that? Grace. Didn't earn it. Didn't work for it. It's a gift. God would kill his son? Scripture says the Roman soldiers didn't do it. The Jewish leaders didn't do it. No, God killed him. For you. It's called substitutionary atonement in theological terms. God did it for me? Killed his own son so I could be adopted into his family. With my imperfections, he was perfect. With my problems, he had none. The spotless lamb of God Whoa, that's called the gospel truth. And it's so precious to us. In fact, the passage we're going to read next talks about how it's lavished upon us. It's like, yes, lavished upon us in God's love. Boy, if that's not love, that God would do that for you and me. And in one word, it's called adoption. You're a full member in the family of God. Oh, what truth, right? What powerful truth. It's life-changing truth if you can get your heart and mind connected to it and really understand it and apply it. You know, I, I, when I put that in a cross like that, I can't help but think, wow. <laughs> the psychologist said, he's probably said, most people think they're like worthless. Worthless. He would do that for something worthless? <laughs> to God, you must be worth a lot. Downright valuable.
that he would put his own son through that just to save you, to make you part of his family. You know, it's one thing to say you're saved. It's kind of like another thing to say, no, I'm, I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. I'm in the family. Yeah, that's even more than saved. <laughs> like it says in Ephesians, that's blessed. Look at one more passage, point three. It reads like this. God's plan is to adopt you as a full heir. Turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Here's where adoption is mentioned again, and it's used in connection with what the Spirit of God does for us. Look what it says. Uh, Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. First of all, notice the repetition of the word spirit, spirit, spirit of slavery, spirit of God, spirit of adoption. He's trying to point out that when you become a believer, the Holy Spirit comes to reside within you. And the spirit, in fact, in one passage, I didn't have time this fall to teach you all about the Holy Spirit, but it talks about how the Holy Spirit seals us. It's like that adoption um, a paper that, that is sealed with the authoritative seal to indicate it's done, it's finished. And when the Holy Spirit resides in us and works through us and we're filled with the Spirit or we walk in the Spirit or He prompts us to even come to church on a Sunday morning, the Spirit of God, He says, bears witness with your spirit, you must be a child of God. I talk with people sometimes up front or other times and they're like questioning where they're at. I'm like, hey, the fact that you're even here and you even ask questions and you're even thinking these things tells me this ain't you. <laughs> They think it's them. No, no, no. This is the Holy Spirit in you. He's prompting you. He's moving you. He's getting you to question. He's getting you to think. He's getting you even to doubt sometimes. So you resort your thinking and get it straightened out. He's getting you to search for the truth. That's the Holy Spirit in you. And so Paul says, when you feel this, this spirit, that's because you're a child of God. It's the spirit of adoption, he's called it. Well, look what he says next. He says, this same spirit causes us to cry out, Abba, Father, which is a highly unusual term because in the Old Testament, it's never, not, not once, never used. Because how in the world, why in the world would anybody call the almighty creating God Daddy? That's blasphemous, a Jew would say. You don't go talking about God like that. But the New Testament says that's what we're supposed to call him. See, Daddy is a term of affection, Right? It's a term of endearment, daddy. And you, you call him daddy, he says, because you're really in the family. That's what the Spirit, he says, cries out within you, daddy. Because the Spirit's trying to say, you really are connected to him. You really are a child of God. Just as much, didn't you read the words, fellow heir? Just as much as Jesus Christ. And just as much in Luke 2, Jesus was starting to realize, I'm, I'm really the Messiah. I'm really God. So should you realize that. You really are a child of God. Wow. Pretty powerful teaching, isn't it? We should call him Daddy. In other words, our relationship to God now is not just legal, that we're in the family, but it's dealing with our affections. And then he calls him heir. Did you catch that? 
And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Fellow heirs with Jesus. In other words, if Jesus gets to go to heaven, you get to go to heaven. Did you notice after that, he says, if you suffer with him. Yeah. He knows that to be a child of God in this world, in this fallen environment, you'll suffer. I would just read the book of 1 Peter. It's all about suffering. But the truth is, you're a child of God. So no matter what suffering you go through, how difficult it is, how wrenching and awful it is, you're a child of God. It reminds me of John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither be afraid. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I'm coming again to receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Remember the passage? That one. It's like he's saying, you're a child of God. So I'm going to heaven. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then I'm going to come again so that you can come home. You can come home to me. You can come home to your father because that's where you belong. It's one of the most beautiful passages. He's telling the disciples right before he goes to the cross saying, don't you worry about a thing. I'm going to get a place ready for you and I'm going to bring you home. And you're all coming home to me. See, only the children of God have that hope. Nobody else has that hope. And he's saying the Spirit of God is putting in your heart, Abba, Father, calling you to this because you're a joint heir, a fellow heir with Christ. That's quite a concept, isn't it? That's quite a concept. And it might be suffering, but the day of relief is coming. Years ago, I used to live in Dallas, Texas, and um, when I was there, I went to Fellowship Bible Church and there was a leader in Fellowship Bible Church, and I was in leadership there, too, and, and I got to know him a little bit. His name was Waylon Ward, Dr. Waylon Ward. He was a clinical psychi- psychologist. And, um, in fact, Waylon was the head of the biggest Christian counseling center in Dallas, Texas. <laughs> a lot of Christians in, in Dallas, so there's a lot of counseling needed for some of these Christians, and he had over 100 counselors working under him. Huge, huge impact in Dallas. And he says, the more I read the scriptures and the more I work with clients, the more I realize what was so interesting is he said like the same thing that secular psychologist, he says, you know, the Bible is clearly revealing. Every single one of us needs reparenting. What? He said, yeah. None of us had a perfect dad or a perfect mom. We all have flaws in our thinking and our feelings and our tendencies and our aptitude spiritually and emotionally he says and we need to be parented again by God so he adopts us into his family he says really all spiritual growth even emotional growth is you being reparented that's what's going on in this passage we just read about the spirit of God he's trying to make us into Jesus because we're supposed to be just like Jesus not only realizing he's our father but growing into becoming like Jesus and his image will be reflected in us powerful truth I've talked with lots of different people about their dads. I remember a couple weeks ago, uh, I was not uh, involved in the service up here, so I was greeting people out there, probably greeted some of you, and I was going back to the children's ministry soon, and I ran into Rich. He's one of our security guys where I get talking to Rich. I don't know how it happened. Rich and I get talking about our dads, and Rich is telling me stories. Whoa, he did not have a good dad. Nah, not, not a good dad at all. It's pretty sad. His story was pretty sad. And so I told him about my dad. I had a great dad. And we were talking about that. And he talked about a father figure that came into his life later and how that helped him, changed him. 
You see, how we see ourselves is often reflected in how our Father saw us. And Rich talked about his struggle. And, and in fact, I remember Dr. Minrath and Meyer, two Christian psychiatrists, saying that once. She said, you know, most of us, when we pray, here's what happens in our brain. Dear heavenly version of my earthly father. Yeah, we tend to see God like our dad. And our dads are never perfect enough to be seen like that. So something needs to be reparented, realigned, according to the truth of God's word. I have another friend, Chuck. Chuck was raised in a family. Uh, his brother's name was Buck, Chuck and Buck, and they're from West Virginia. <laughs> what are you laughing about? <laughs> yeah, he kind of fit that. His dad was a drill sergeant in the army in World War II. He could not call his father father. He couldn't call him dad or daddy. He says, "You call me sir, or you call me Sarge." That's it. And yet Chuck talks about this regimented, drill sergeant-type father, how much he loved him. Even in his harshness, he said, oh, I knew Dad didn't really hate me. He loved me. That's why he was tough with me, you know? You know, all of us had different fathers. And all this talk about fathers and stuff. I, I go back to that first passage I read you, where Mary comes to Jesus, finds him in the temple, and said, your father and I have been looking for you all over the place, right? Can you just see it? Can't you just hear it? What kind of dad did Jesus have? This guy Joseph, his earthly half-father, whatever you want to call him. Was he a good dad? Was he a bad dad? Was he too harsh or too easy? What kind of dad was Joe? I'm trying to point out to you something here. It didn't matter. Didn't matter at all. Because he was a son of God. And you know what? For you, it's the same case. It doesn't matter. If your dad was a good dad, a bad dad, you're not his child anymore. You're a child of God. When is that going to get into our brain? That's what Dr. Waylon Ward was trying to say. If people could grab hold of this, my office would be clean. It wouldn't have any counsel. Because they'd realize they're being reparented by God. They're now a child of God. Changes everything. You and me, if the scriptures are true, and I believe they are, have, ch- have become children of God. Doesn't that change everything about how you see you? Oh boy, he must love you an awful lot to go through all that, kill his own sons just so he could adopt little you. <laughs> You're worth a lot. You're not worthless. You're very worthy in God's eyes. Even though you're a sinner, yeah, because Jesus paid the price for you. Wow, what an amazing truth. No wonder we sing Christmas carols like we do. No wonder we celebrate the coming of Jesus. He came so we could be adopted into the family of God. I hope and pray that you can get a hold of this truth in your psyche, in your brain, in your heart of hearts, and walk away from this service today a changed person, starting that change in your life where you're starting to incorporate the truth of God's Word. Your dad was to this. Your dad was to... So what? Like, I don't know what kind of dad even Joseph was. It's like, so what? I have to be about my father's business, he said. That's right, and so do you. Can I pray with you about this? Let's pray together.
Lord, I thank you that you want to make us into the image of your son. I thank you that you would send Jesus to earth, even to sacrifice him for us. How worthy, much worth we must be to you for you to do that, even though we're sinners, deserving of judgment. You would, you would do that to save us, to adopt us into your family? Oh, Lord, we rejoice with the angels. We rejoice with every carol, every song, every word of this message with you, our Father. You know what? Maybe right now you need to say that. Dear God, like Jesus taught me, our Father who art in heaven, I'm, I'm realizing you're my Father. Maybe this is what it means to really accept Christ as your Savior for you. You're coming to the place of saying, I'm going to accept you as my Father, my real dad. Just like Jesus, you're my real dad. I'm a co-heir with Jesus now because I'm a child of God. Oh, Lord, I pray for everyone here that you'd help that truth transform our thinking, our feelings, our emotional life, our relationships, the way we look at our future, our purpose, our meaning in life. All these truths, it's such a full meaning. And I pray that we won't take it lightly. That we'll take it in all seriousness as the very words of God. Thank you, Lord, for adopting us into the family of God. I am a child of God. To the praise and glory of Jesus Christ, my Savior, I pray these prayers. Amen. Amen. God bless you. See you next weekend and then Christmas Eve. God bless. Have a great weekend.